Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Sievers, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War as a B-26 bombardier. Today we are in Act 1, called The Flying Dude, Scene 3, known as Middle River. And this is Marauder Men. It begins with Michael, the narrator. Winter, 1928. This is a night scene where two Martin representatives are standing at the front door of a tiny home, talking with the owner. They're discussing the purchase of his property. The men claim to represent a private New York State hunt and fishing club assembling the land. The Glen Martin arc in history landed in Middle River on Baltimore's east edge through a remarkable subterfuge sequence. The New York club was fake. It was a cover story, certainly plausible to people who hunt, fish, and travel at the water's edge. The men assembling 45 properties in the Chesapeake Bay tidal lands worked for months and miles to close deals with unsuspecting owners along the bay. The real estate story is murky and dark, but described as very extensive conversations and meetings with Glenn Martin and his men over three years. The Baltimore Association of Commerce was a powerful, prominent business group. H. Findlay French led the group's industrial bureau and its pursuit of Glenn Martin while he was in Cleveland. The public land deal negotiations were based on Baltimore's decision to build a 1,000-acre municipal airport, which became Harbor Field, and lease part of that site to Glen Martin. And Michael continues, But the city's offer of 365 acres was too small. The mayor, William Bruning, and Glen Martin had different perspectives on the scale and operations to manufacture airplanes. Middle River, literally a vast green field east of Baltimore and its jurisdiction, became an intense effort to scour the landscape beyond the city's political grasp. This complex door-to-door venture, led by the company executive C.V. Van Dusen and William A. Krenning, provided Glen Martin with the property and control that no deal with the Baltimore City Council could offer. He bought 1,260 acres of land close to the Pennsylvania Railroad main line and built an airfield. The vision Glen Martin had for a vast manufacturing empire cast a long shadow on Baltimore politics. The council chambers was a classic scene presenting a contest of power brokers. The mayor meets a major manufacturer. Baltimore was an established East Coast port city and industrial center, searching for more industries to build its reputation. The city council, throughout its negotiations with Glen Martin, displayed a consistent lack of understanding about the extent of importance that airplane manufacturing would mean to the region. Glenn Martin, having built planes in Los Angeles and Cleveland, gave the city council substantial negotiating room that it failed to recognize. 
Martin knew what thousands of new jobs would mean to every aspect of business life in what became a burgeoning industrial home front. What the Baltimore City Council couldn't anticipate five years after this meeting was that President Franklin Delano Roosevelt, in the first year of his initial term, would present the 1932 Robert J. Collier Trophy to Glenn Martin. The trophy, the highest award for the greatest achievement in aviation each year, was for the B-10 bomber. Built in Middle River, the B-10 success brought Martin and his mother, Minta, to the St. John's Church near DuPont Circle and the White House in Washington for a May 31, 1933 presentation by one of the country's greatest presidents. That spring day, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said of Glenn L. Martin, now a legend in aviation design and production, quote, When a man is selected to receive the Collier Trophy for the year's outstanding contribution to aviation, he is receiving, in effect, the thanks of the entire nation, as well as the aviation industry. Mrs. Martin, we in America share your pride in the achievement of your son. The Army Air Corps, to enhance its relationship with Martin Manufacturing, deployed then-Lieutenant Colonel Henry H. Hap Arnold to lead a flight of 10 B-10s on a six-day mission to Alaska in July of 1934. The Air Corps had ordered 151 B-10B planes. Ten years later, in August of 1944, General Hap Arnold led the Army Air Corps and invited Glenn Martin to visit a B-26 training center and depot in Shreveport, Louisiana. That visit was where Glenn Martin met the Silver King. Michael reads from a Time magazine issue dated May 29th of 1939. The article is called Transport on pages 71 and 72, and it begins, To Baltimore, adding designers, draftsmen, withdrawing more and more from designing to administer the business, Martin turned out better and better models in rapid succession. He swapped little information with other manufacturers and became known as a somber lone wolf. From the Cleveland plant came the first plane built specifically for mail service, the first metal American monoplane of which the Navy bought 36, the first bomber with an alloy steel fuselage of which the Navy bought 103. By 1925, it was time to expand again, and this time Builder Martin decided to have plenty of room. From unsuspecting holders of tidewater property above Baltimore, options were cautiously obtained by agents who represented themselves as acting for a New York sportsman's club. When they were all in, Glen L. Martin Manufacturing had options on 1,243 acres of land and was ready to build a plant. Glen L. Martin was the cover story on that May 29, 1939 issue. And by the end of that year, 
Time magazine had named Adolf Hitler its man of the year. When the lights go up on this scene, it's a dark late night, and three men are standing beneath a dim light. The evening is of extraordinary significance. And it begins with Martin Manufacturing lead negotiator, C.V. Van Dusen. Mr. Tillman, we appreciate your willingness to talk with us again about your property. It's late and you're tired. We thank you. And then Martin Manufacturing's assistant secretary along for the evening, whose name is William Krenning, says, Mr. Van Dusen asked me to make this late night trip. I was reluctant and felt that the deal was lost. Is that true? The gentlemen are looking at a man named Bunk Tillman, who is a Tidewater property owner. Tillman says, Well, I've been asking around about you boys. My neighbors say you're okay, legit. They decided to take their deals. I don't know. And then Van Dusen stepping in. They did take their deals, yes, Mr. Tillman. It's true. We convinced them that our sportsmen will respect their tidelands, just as your family has for generations. And William Krenning, behind Van Dusen, the price for their properties was fair, just as it is for yours. You'll all have the right to hunt and fish until we complete the land filings. What do you say, Mr. Tillman? And Bunk Tillman, standing beneath the light, looks at both gentlemen and asks, You got the paperwork and money? C.V. Van Dusen to Bunk Tillman. We do. We've got the money and the paperwork. Just need a signature and the check is yours. Are we good now? And Bunk Tillman, We're good. I'll sign. Got a pen? And William Crenning, right here, Mr. Tillman, sign at the X. And C.V. Van Dusen, here's your check, good to cash any time. We appreciate your courtesy and patience over these months. You did the right thing. Thank you and good night. William Crenning, turning behind Van Dusen, looks at Mr. Tillman. Good evening, Mr. Tillman. And Bunk Tillman, bidding them adieu says, Evening, gents, as the lights go down. This is the end of scene three, the very significant Middle River, Maryland, in Marauder Men. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.